Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, I believe that there is a hope for you. You know, we're, you're wired for hope, we're wired for hope, and I believe that there is a, a being in this universe we call God who's... Uh, He's hopeful for you. And yet, we're also in this world wired for a plot, and there's somebody who's plotting against you. So just as these things play out on the world stage, they also play out in the interior of your own heart. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, uh, Acts 23. I'm just going to read uh, the first part of it. Um, I should just kind of set it up a bit. Paul is in the, uh, he's on trial, basically. He's in front of the Sanhedrin. They brought him before the Sanhedrin, this council of elders and, and leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, they brought him there because people were trying to kill him. And they were trying to figure out, okay, why, why are they trying to kill this guy? And, you know, he sort of uh, gave a, uh, a testimony, a report of his, of his belief in Jesus Christ. And he got accused of trying to destroy uh, uh, the temple and, and uh, the Jewish religion. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin to examine uh, what he had to say. So verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 1 says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Uh, so when you read this, it's not going well. It didn't start out well. Uh, Paul's getting ready to get slapped, and he protests, and uh, um, people are getting riled up about this trial. And uh, Paul's saying, I'm, I fulfilled my duty, and my duty is to God above all. And so sometimes when <clears throat> preachers feel that way, uh, it gets people kind of riled up and uh, get, got Paul riled up and got his opponents riled up. And I'm fulfilling my duty today as a, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that might get some of you riled up. I don't know. Um, it can certainly arouse strong opinions, and it's designed to do that. Because I say, like, you've, on one hand, there's hope for you, and on the other hand, there's a plot against you. And so it's bound to rise up strong opinions and, and arguments. And in a way, um, we don't quite conduct ourselves uh, in that way today, but in a way, every audience uh, puts the gospel on trial. So when I explain the gospel this morning, um, you will exercise your opinion and your judgment, and you will decide what you want to think. Um, and that is, of course, the prerogative God gives you, the prerogative of free choice. So what this sermon is about is just a, basically an explanation of what the gospel is, it, the message of the Bible. And uh, I believe it has eternal implications. We don't believe that this life is all there is. We believe there's a life to come. We believe that everybody will stand before God one day and give account. And so that's what the gospel is about. So the first point of the gospel is this. God is for us, okay? Somebody is hopeful for you, and that's God. He's for you. God's not your enemy. 
I know what God has been portrayed uh, to, to be, you know, the cosmic killjoy, um, and that he's somehow the enemy of, of fun and, and, and the enemy of life, and that could be, couldn't be farther from the truth. God is the giver of life. All that is good in this world comes from God. All that is hopeful in this world comes from God. God is a warrior. You know, God is not just kind of laying back and seeing how it plans out. God is actively involved. And one day God will actually take direct involvement in the affairs of this world so that people will actually see what he's doing. God is a rescuer. God uh, loves to go and rescue people from problems and rescue people from trouble. I'm one of them who has been rescued. God is a healer. God loves to heal relationships and heal hurts and heal people's hearts. That's what he does. He heals people. He saves people. So if God is for you, who's against you? Well, evil is against you. The devil is against you. Um, how does that manifest? Well, one of the ways is human pride. Like I said, there's a plot against you, and some of it's your own. <laughs> you plot against yourself. Uh, some of it is other people trying to trip you up and trying to knock you down. So that's part of the, the problem that we have, human pride. We feel we don't need God. We can get along through life without him. And that manifests itself in rebellion. And so the world is, by and large, in rebellion against the authority of God. And then you add that together, the pressure of peers. Okay, So it's one thing for us as individuals to think a certain way, but we're all susceptible to peer pressure. And it doesn't matter if you're 13 or 73, we're susceptible to peer pressure. Um, we have uh, you know, a, a culture that thinks a certain way and expects everybody else to think a certain way. And what I would like you to do this morning is have an open mind about what I'm saying so you can think for yourself and, and just forget about what other people think. So I believe there's an enemy who plots against you. And what is he trying to do? Well, he's trying to keep you out of heaven. He's trying to keep you from uh, being saved. There's a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 that Paul writes, The God of this age, who we would call the devil or Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so if, if the devil's uh, uh, job or his program is to keep people out of heaven, then his task is to keep people blinded to the truth. And it's a hard thing to admit that you might be blinded to the truth, but the, that's what the Bible says. That that's, what, um, that's what I was at one time. I, I was told the truth. I, I went to Sunday school and all those things, but I just willfully chose not to believe it. Why? Because I was having too much fun um, doing what I wanted to do. And I didn't really see myself as being blinded until a point in time when I came to a crisis and I had to really evaluate how I thought because I believed that it, it would affect not only my life now but my eternal life or my destiny. So Paul is, you know, he's thinking of all these things and he's saying, I'm, I'm here to explain the gospel. And, but he's in the middle of a problem here. He's in the middle of a trial and uh, everybody's kind of against him. So he does something kind of smart. Uh, he kind of starts an argument. So let's just read here. Verse 6, Paul, knowing some of them were Sadducees, some of the group were Sadducees, that's a certain sect within Judaism, and the others were Pharisees, um, another uh, sect of Judaism, all called Jews, but different beliefs within that. Same as Christianity, you have, you know, 
Christians who believe one thing and, and people under Christianity's uh, dome who maybe believe something else. So Paul says this, my brothers, <clears throat> I'm a Pharisee. So right away he's, he allies himself with one side of the room. And the son of a Pharisee, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. And why is that? Well, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. It says the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, there's no angels, there's no spirits. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So right away, Paul kind of starts an argument in the house. And I think he kind of did that to get a little bit of attention off himself. He's, he's under pressure. He's the, the center of attention. He says, wait a minute. Some of you actually agree with me. And so he says, you Pharisees, I'm here because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And they said, yeah, that's what we believe. And all the Sadducees on the other side were saying, well, we don't believe that. And so there was a, verse 9, there was a great uproar. Um, some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The, sp the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn in pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take them away from them by force and bring them into the barracks. So Paul tried to kind of take some of the heat off himself, but it just made it worse. Uh, they were ready to tear him apart. Um, and it's amazing how the topic, the subject of heaven and hell can raise our feelings, strong, strong feelings. Um, Paul said it's because of his hope in the resurrection that he was on trial. And really, that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did he rise from the dead or did he not? Was he the son of God or was he not? Um, does it matter or does it not matter? And so we stand and say these things do matter because they're true. Every religion has a certain belief system. That could be one. I don't know what, that was a phone or what it was. Um, but every religion has a belief system about heaven and hell and reward and, and punishment. And, uh, you know, how does it work? Well, I have a chart. I don't know if you'll be able to read it or not. I, I'm not sure how. It looks pretty, uh, pretty small, but I can read it. Um, but it just, here's uh, six different religions. Uh, Buddhism, Christianity. Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and Confucianism. Um, and so they all have different beliefs. They have different books. Christianity has the Bible. Um, other religions have other books. They all have founders. The, the founder of Christianity was, is Jesus Christ. It's connected with Judaism, vitally connected with Judaism. But Judaism doesn't tend to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They're, they're still waiting for the Messiah. Um, but what you'll notice if you could read through these things is that they have, you know, basic beliefs. And so the beliefs are, okay, where do we go when we die? That's really where it matters, okay? It matters about how we live, and it matters about where do we go when we die. So just kind of looking at some of them here, um, like uh, Buddhism. Um, persons achieve complete peace and happiness, which is called nirvana, by eliminating their attachment to worldly things. Nirvana is reached by following the noble eightfold path, right views, right resolve, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, 
right concentration. So if you just do what's right all the time, you'll be good. I have a problem with doing what's right all the time. Uh, you know, I, I got to confess, I sped all the way over here. Like I'm flying down Folly Mountain at, at 105, and Glenda said, I think that's a cop down there. So I eased up because, you know, I don't want to get caught doing wrong. I know I should do right, but it's easy to do wrong going downhill in sixth gear. Um, and that's just kind of how we live, isn't it? Like we're just not quite capable of doing what's right all the time. And, and Buddhism says you do what's right all the time, you, you'll get there. You'll get to nirvana. You'll get to heaven. It's a different kind of heaven than Christian heaven, but that's what they believe. Um, okay, how about Hinduism? Um, Hinduism um, says persons achieve happiness and enlightenment after they free themselves from their earthly desires. Freedom from earthly desires come from a lifetime of worship, knowledge, and virtuous acts. Freedom from earthly desires. Like right now, some of you are thinking about lunch, right? Steve mentioned, you know, grilled cheese and tomato, and, and, and you're just thinking, man, that's going to be good. Or I wonder what's for dessert. I wonder when this guy's going to be done. Because your earthly desires are working, right? And, 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 and they're distracting you. But if you could just free yourself from those earthly desires, like the Hindus say, then you'd, be, you'd go to heaven. I don't think that's going to happen. Not in this life. As long as your body's breathing, you're going to be tied to your earthly desires. Uh, I think it's just kind of fantasy that you can actually detach yourself from them. Um, Islam says uh, persons achieve salvation by following the five pillars of Islam and living a just life. These pillars are faith, prayer, almsgiving, or charity to the poor, fasting, which Muslims performed in Ramadan, pilgrimage to Mecca. So it's like it's more doing stuff. You know, do these religious things and give up these things and do all this right stuff and you'll go to heaven. And again, it's kind of like the Buddhists. It's just hard to do the right stuff. Um, I kind of had that idea when I was a little boy going to Sunday school. If I just be good, life would be good. And my parents would be happy and I'd be happy. But I just had a hard time being good. How many of you boys, older men now, you had a hard time being good, didn't you? It's not easy being good. Uh, why? It's because we have a human nature that's sort of drawn to the good and sort of drawn to the evil. And so we have a hard time being good. So uh, the, the one that's, these are all kind of the same, but the one that's different is Christianity. Bible Christianity is, is quite a bit different. And so it says here, uh, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He died to save humanity from sin. His death and resurrection make eternal life possible for others. That's a lot different. It's not that God doesn't want us to be good, but God knows that we... We can't be good. We're not good. We're sinners. We, we have a problem with sin. And so what God did was he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins, to reconcile us to God by his shed blood on the cross. That's just radically different than any other religion. And that's what Paul was talking about here today. Um, so just, I want to just mention a few things about heaven. Uh, everybody wants to go. Um, What's that? Speak up now. Nobody wants to die. I tell you, when, when you lose somebody close to you, heaven becomes more real, doesn't it? It becomes like when you have somebody close to you, somebody you love who's gone, you, you just feel a stronger attachment than you did before. Uh, it seems to strengthen our belief. So I just looked up 
some scriptures about heaven. What's heaven like anyway? Um, so from Revelation 4, uh, the apostle John said, At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was like what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's what heaven's like. Heaven is a holy place. Heaven is a place of glory where God is worshipped, where God is the center of attention, where anything to do with humans is kind of, maybe we get to observe, uh, but God is the center in heaven. Um, and that's why some people don't want to go there, I guess, because they don't know if God's worthy of being worshipped. Now, Jesus said, uh, gave us uh, basically pretty much everything we know about the afterlife. In the Old Testament, it was kind of shrouded in mystery, but Jesus kind of opened it up. And, and in John chapter 5, uh, he said these words, verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. In other words, Jesus was saying that he was equal with the Father. He was God. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. And so what he was saying is, the day is coming when everybody is in the grave is going to rise up. And if you go to any Protestant cemetery, virtually every grave everywhere is the faces east. Because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem, and that's east of our area. And so the first thing that's going to happen, according to the Bible, when Christ comes is the resurrection, and all the saints are going to raise up, and that's the first thing we're going to see is Jesus. Interesting, isn't it, how burial traditions uh, mirror uh, what the Scripture says about the gospel. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is there's... There's two destinies. There's a resurrection to life, which everybody wants, and there's a resurrection to judgment, which nobody wants. 
But Jesus said, the road is narrow that leads to life, and the road is broad that leads to judgment. The road is narrow that leads to heaven. The road is broad that leads to hell. Why is that? It's because people aren't really too sure of what to believe. One of my favorite passages that Jesus uh, spoke of is uh, Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. And in this passage, he kind of sheds light on what the afterlife looks like. And there's, again, the Bible doesn't kind of go, you know, on and on about these things. It, it's kind of a mystery. But Jesus kind of opened the doors and said, this is what it's like. So this is um, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. A pretty pitiful picture of a man. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So there's two destinies, there's two places. And it's, I guess, what is Jesus saying is when you die, that your fate is sealed. You go to one place or the other, and there's no crossing back over afterward. So, how do you get salvation? How, if we're, you know, we're all heading on the broad road, how do we get on the narrow road? And when you read these things, it kind of gives you the idea, we just do what's right. You just do what's right. But we looked on that chart, and Christianity was kind of the only one that said um, that that wasn't the way. And so, how do we understand that according to the Bible? Well, in John 6... Um, the Jews asked Jesus a question. They said, what must we do to do the works God requires? What right thing do we have to do? And Jesus said this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's what faith is. The work of God isn't to do all these right things and pile up all this righteousness. Why? Because we're always undermining our own righteousness. You know, we do some good things, and then we do some things that undermine that. And so we, we don't come out, you know, with doing what's right. We come out with a hodgepodge of doing what's wrong. And Jesus said, this is what the gospel, the essence of the gospel is all about, that God sent his son to pay the price for sin, and that in exchange for our trust in him, he would give us his righteous standing before God. That's just radical different, different than any other religion on earth. One of the most famous things Jesus said 
is in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what he was saying was, I'm the way to heaven, I'm the truth about heaven, and I'm the one who gives eternal life to the exclusion of anybody else. That's not very popular in today's world, but that's what Jesus said, and that's what the Bible says. That's what Christianity is really all about. And, and I just want you to think about this, because it's very popular today to believe that there's all kinds of ways to God. You know, every religion is like treated like a political party. It doesn't really matter which one. As long as you belong to something, we're all going to the same place. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. He taught that uh, there is one way of truth. And, and you have to think about truth this way. We've become conditioned in our culture to think that, you know, if it's true, if you believe it, and, you know, it doesn't matter if we don't believe it, it's still true. But, you know, when I was a boy, I, I never learned about truth that way. I remember uh, setting fire to a field behind our house. And uh, it was a hot August day, and my friend came down, and he had these matches, you know, the big stick matches, and, and he had the, you know, the Eddie box, and it was like, ooh, those are serious matches. And so we started lighting, maybe about six years old, eh, lighting matches, and the field just flared up in about a minute, and we were in trouble, and we knew it. So we, what do we do? When, what do you do when you're a six-year-old boy and you're in trouble? You run. <laughs> you run and hide. And then, you know, the fire departments come. The whole neighborhood's filled with smoke, and, and the fields are burning up, and, and you're scared to death. And, and your parents say, did you have anything to do with that? And you say, no, I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't do that. And, you know, I had many incidences like that when I was a boy. And my mother would find out and she would say, that's a lie. You told a lie. And I knew the difference between the truth and a lie because the truth was the truth and everything but the truth was a lie. And that's what I kind of learned growing up. And I think that's something that our society has kind of forgotten. Everything can't be true. Something can be true, but anything that's contradictory to what's true, we call a lie. And that's what I believe about the gospel of Jesus. So what did Jesus say about how to receive this salvation? Well, one of the most famous verses is in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all have heard that before. And, and what the gospel is saying is this is the way. God sacrificed his son so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins because we can't pay for our own sins. We'd have to go to hell to pay for sin and you'd never be done. So God sacrificed his son and his son experienced hell for us. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. These are serious words, and they convey a serious truth. So we can receive that, or we can reject that. And that's up to us as, as an individual. And like I say, too often we kind of succumb to peer pressure because, you know, maybe if we accepted it, uh, people would make fun of us. I struggled with that when I was 27, and, and um, I decided to become a Christian, and, 
and then later on, uh, you know, to serve God with my, my whole life as, as a pastor. And, and so you just got to get over that. You got to get over what people think because what matters most is what, what does God say and what do I think about that? And so it's incumbent to make up our own minds. Um, and then Jesus talked about that, or John talked about it in, in the book of John chapter 1. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. He was in the world, okay? Jesus was born. He lived. Um, he uh, lived a perfect life, the Bible says. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried in the ground. He rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven, and someday he's coming back. That's what the gospel says. So John says he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, because Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man. Jesus was the son of God, God himself. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And that's his own people. He was a Jewish man, and he came to his own Jewish people. He was born of a, of a Jewish mom, a Jewish virgin. And he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And so it's about receiving Christ as your Savior. It's about putting your trust in Jesus. It's pretty simple. Uh, when I did that, I just said, Lord, save me. Save me a sinner. I, I, Lord, I believe you died for me on the cross as my substitute. I believe that you rose from the dead and you're alive. I believe the gospel. Will you save me? And that's what faith is. Faith is putting your trust in Jesus. Now, voting and morality and choosing your religious faith is where we all get to exercise one of our most important values as Canadians and as human beings. It's the right to choose. And so you get to choose about where you will spend eternity. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you can, you can choose who you're going to vote for next election. The way things are going lately, you might change your mind, right? Um, and that, we get to choose that, and then we get to live with that. But hallelujah, there'll be another election. Maybe we'll get the guy we want or the gal we want next time. But when it comes to your where are you going to spend eternity, you get to choose that. And then it becomes fixed when you leave this world. And so it becomes really important. Uh, you know, I'm 64 years old. It's getting more important all the time because it's getting closer. You know, when you're 30, it's not, so, it's not so near and dear. But when you get older, you get to start thinking about these things. And so that's what I implore you to do today to think about these things, to think about the gospel, to think about what the gospel says. For God so loved you. That's the hope. You know, the Lord offers you hope. The Lord wants to see you in heaven. But God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That, that he died for your sins and mine. That whoever believes in him, he's, God is just asking us to exercise two capacities as human beings. One is repentance, where we acknowledge that we're sinners and we turn from sin. And the other is faith, where we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's biblical Christianity. And you get to choose. And so I want to leave you with this question. What's your choice going to be? I hope you choose the Lord. Otherwise, you're kind of on your own. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't feel too, too good about meeting God on my own. I think I need somebody to speak up for me, somebody to say, Lord, I paid the price for this man's sin. That's what I trust Jesus is going to do for me.
I'm going to close in prayer, and then the legion are going to close the service. So let's just pray together. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, that this is uh, historic Christianity. Uh, this is the, the Bible that uh, has been handed down to us through uh, our forefathers, through the Christian church for centuries, and it hasn't changed. It's still the same message. And the message is that Jesus Christ came to die for us sinners. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about these things today. They're just so vitally important. Not just about how we'll live, Lord, but where we will live after we die. Where our afterlife will be spent. So I pray that we would all give these things careful consideration. And Lord, I thank you for the Legion members who came here today to... Um, uh, really honor us, Lord, with their presence and, and what they're doing. I pray that your blessing be upon them as they uh, finish uh, this act of remembrance today and, and this month. And I just thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.